identity and expression, politics and art, are intrinsically intertwined. How we tell our stories matters just as much as what they say. From Langston Hughes and Toni Morrison to Jean-Michel Basquiat and Beyonce, there is a rich history of Black creatives having great impact on their communities and the broader popular culture. I recently interviewed Black students at Yale who are part of this artistic tradition. First, I sat down with Cassidy Arrington, a sophomore in Sullivan College. Blackness takes its arms from around my body and I bow my head, drown myself for an instant to be clean. I turn the faucet off, watch my blood swirl, slink into a sunken place at the bottom of the drain and I don't look up to watch myself leave. I stay here wondering when I was unmade. I'm not sure how long I've been gone, but I never come back. In high school, I did a lot of poetry, so I knew going into it that I wanted to find something around, you know, writing to do. But I didn't know how involved I would be able to get outside of that. Surprisingly, I got the opportunity to do a lot more than just writing. When I went in for Bulldog Days, I went to a writing workshop that was hosted by Word Performance Poetry at Yale, which is the poetry group that is sponsored by the Afro-American Cultural Center. And after I went to that workshop, I was like, okay. I know what group I'm going to try out for, so I tried out for them. For a lot of my first year, Word was what I did um, once I got tapped. But then starting my sophomore year after the Black Lives Matter protests and everything, I really got into photography because there were moments where writing couldn't really help me through things in the same way that taking pictures could. Pictures offered me a tangible evidence of something salvageable in the world in a way that sometimes you can't really write. You can't really write beauty into the world sometimes when you're going through a lot and you're seeing a lot of examples otherwise. So I got big into photography and then when I got back to campus, I started taking a photo class. I joined the photo desk kind of at YDN and I'm hoping to eventually join the staff. I also, over the quarantine, helped with starting up the Neo Collective. I'm on the logistics team for that, and it's the first Black Arts Collective, so it's another Afro-American Cultural Center-sponsored event. So there's really a lot to do on campus. As far as the arts, of course, there are a bunch of opportunities beyond what I mentioned for you to like sign up for arts grants and other ways to get paid or get supported to create. I think with my writing, I'm not as much reckoning with my blackness in a societal context or what it means to be black American. Um, I'm more so reckoning with like how all of those constructs sort of intervene in my personal life as just a queer black girl trying to get a degree right now and trying to grow up in a family. And so I think my writing is kind of influenced by like, we're all just people trying to grow up, but those intersections, it's not like you're trying to think about them, but they're kind of embedded in every thought. They kind of shape every thought. You can't really get around them. And so why not just dive into them headfirst and pick them apart? And I think that's really been my approach to blackness, queerness, and, you know, similar topics in my writing. I've been writing and performing poetry since my first year of high school. And honestly, when I say this, I, I mean it in like the most genuine way. Poetry has critically reshaped many aspects of my life and my personhood. And I feel like that feeling was definitely affirmed for me once I got to college and I got to read the work of people like 
you know, Audre Lorde and very famous essays like Poetry is Not a Luxury and more writers who talk about how poetry functions as this clarifying force. And it's like a theory of self-affirmation that what I'm going through is real because I can articulate it. And it's amazing to be able to articulate your own experience and go into an audience and have other people come up to you and say, that it's not just your experience. I mean, I think that's why poetry and other art forms like it have been so critical to Black arts movements in the past and in the present, because a lot of times you don't get that kind of self-affirmation in other forms of more commonly accepted academia and things like that. Also, poetry is, aside from affirming those emotions, it's a way of kind of like emptying them so I don't have to carry them around with me so that I can keep going forward and getting done what I want to get done for myself and going where I want to go. In high school, when I was auditioning for, you know, this huge poetry competition or whatever, I, the poem that I wrote for like one of my finals performances was about my mom. And it was about an aspect of our relationship that had been literally stressing me out since I was in middle school. And I remember just performing the poem on stage. And then once I finished, I walked away from all of those emotions. And a lot of the phrases that you get out of spoken word culture, leave it all on the stage and blackout and all of that stuff is real. You get to like relieve yourself of a lot. I think that's why it's such an effective medium in a lot of ways. And of course, it still has its limitations. And there are other mediums that do other things better. But I definitely think poetry is not a luxury. Thank you so much, Cassidy, both for this interview, but also for leaving it all on the stage, so sharing it with your community. I'm very grateful to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Sydney. <laughs> then I spoke with Carlos Brown, a sophomore in Davenport College. Yeah, so I'm involved with a couple organizations on campus, BSA, Dwight Hall, but one of like I love being in a lot is Sabre de Soto, which is Yale's premier Latin dance group. So it started at one of the house's opening events. We kind of had an intercultural mixer and Sabro came and did a demonstration slash little workshop on a bunch of different dance styles. And I hadn't heard of the group before, but as soon as I saw them and saw how excited and happy the members were, I got really interested and also had a great time. After that, I found out about signups. I tried out and I got on the team last fall, for like forever ago now. Dance is something I've always loved to do. I think it comes from like my mom and my family. Obviously, like dancing is something that we do at family occasions, with friends, at parties, but sometimes not even when there's a party, when we're cooking, when we're putting up Christmas decorations. Music has always been a key part of my life, even if I can't sing to save my life. So dancing is an opportunity to express that love of music um, and also connect with my family and my friends. My sisters, for example, are dancers. One of them actually competes with dance. And so the idea of dancing in a formal space is something I've always been kind of aware of. But as a guy, as a black guy, it wasn't necessarily a space I felt would be a natural fit for me. And I think a lot of that has to do with cultural biases and like gender. But also a lot of studio dance is a white space. And that has to do with issues of accessibility and appropriation. So for me, dance was always something I did like very casually. And I wasn't necessarily planning to be on a dance team when I came to Yale for that very reason. But when I saw Sabro and I saw how diverse the group was, how intentional they were with respecting people's differences and backgrounds and context, 
plus how opening and welcome they were to people who weren't Latinx, I think that kind of confirmed for me that's the type of space I wanted to be in, right? A space that didn't shy away from conversations about appropriation, that didn't shy away from being intentional about having a diverse and representative group of students, and also just was kind of like built as a community of love and support. Sabro really is a family. I know like everyone says their group is a family, but it's true. Like it's not just a place for dance. It's a place for support. It's a place where we organize. It's a place where we can like connect in ways that you wouldn't do in other clubs and other situations. I think socially it's great. Before we were allowed to have parties, we had like really cool, really fun socials, interact with other dance groups. And I think also it's a place to learn. You expand your skills. We're very intentional about, again, improving our skill sets, being respectful to the dances and their dance styles and the course their origin. And I think that also Sabro is a really, really great time. Our shows are always electric. Our crowds are electric, and I think the dances that students choreograph are beautiful memories and almost kind of like something you keep with you even after you leave Yale. Amazing. Thank you so much, Carlos. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you. Same here. Next up, I spoke with Adaranke Adijare, a first year in Saybrook College, who is a cast member of the devised piece of theater, Unstable Connection. So I am a part of Unstable Connection, and it's devised theater piece we're all writing part of it so some of the cast members are writing part of it along with like the directors we're all just like making it together i don't know if it was pandemic wise or just the way theater works <laughs> because i am a first year so i just didn't know anything beforehand but it took rejection after rejection after rejection until like i finally got a yes it was so awesome when i did get into this play it's a great group so i'm proud to be in it and I love performing. Like, I've performed different performing arts. <laughs> Sorry, I keep saying perform. Um, but, like, I used to do band as a kid and choir and more recently theater. So it just feels like it's always been so integral to my life that it's hard to live without it. And that's why the pandemic has kind of been very sad and very hard, I guess, for, like, my creative side. We can't perform in front of big audiences, have that rush and that excitement, but also that relief, that confidence when you're on stage. It's definitely been a confidence booster for me that relief off stage and that excitement all throughout that we've got to participate and and get to see something that we've worked so hard on come together and be such a great product so it just it just means so much to me because it is very much like teamwork based it just feels like it's just part of my life I just love it like I said it's freeing it's fun it makes and it builds me up in a lot of ways Though we are making great strides theater is a notoriously white space even on Yale's campus do you have any concerns as a black performer in the theater community Yes. And also this was something that a friend of mine who's Indigenous also we brought up because we both auditioned for this play, which specifically was like, we want BIPOC to come and be part of this play. But like myself, who's a Black woman and my friend who is an Indigenous person, neither of us got in and the cast ended up being predominantly white with like one Black person and a few East Asian people, which I'm not saying that was bad or maybe we just weren't the right for the role, but it felt kind of hypocritical. <laughs> like you said, you want BIPOC people, which means like Black and Indigenous people of color, yet there's very little Black and Indigenous people of color in the final product. So I feel like one thing is just, we've got to, like, if you're going to say you want BIPOC people, you know, say with your whole chest, like, like fully, you know, commit to including Black people and, and Indigenous people and other underrepresented minorities. I definitely hope to see it be less white um just because black theater or not not even black theater but just you know theater with 
like many different people is just very interesting. And I feel like there's so many creative black people on and around campus. Like there has to be just because so many Yaleys are so creative that I definitely just want to see more productions like led by and starring black people. I am so glad that you're a part of Yale Theater. Thank you so much, Adoronke, for speaking with me today. Thank you. Lastly, I sat down with Danielle Neal, a sophomore in Pearson College. I'm involved with the Yale International Relations Association through Wyman Asia. I also work as a Pearson office aide and undergraduate technology assistant. And of course, my favorite activity on campus, acapella with Shades of Yale. Shades is very similar to a lot of my previous experiences with music. I started singing at a very, very young age, probably at around five, for as long as I can remember, really. And my dad was kind of a de facto pastor, you could say, at our church in Jamaica, which is where I grew up. And I sang there for a while, singing just hymns with the choir, and then moving on to singing things on my own. Um, and then coming to the U.S., I started just singing more, getting very interested in learning how to play different instruments, not being the best at it, but continuing singing throughout all of that. And in that time, singing kind of really became a way for me to cope with a lot of things like stress, anxiety, and a way for me to find peace. Shades embodies a kind of space of comfort and peace for me, just as how singing has been throughout my entire life. And in middle school and high school, I did a lot of choir things, which were really related to, I guess, church, but also just in very white spaces. In that way, Shades is a very different place as we focus all of our music towards the African diaspora and African-American tradition. In that space, I felt like I've never needed to code switch, like I've never needed to not act myself. And for that, I think Shades has been a really, really important part of my time at Yale. This is actually a very funny story because one of the reasons why I ended up choosing Yale and applying for Yale early was because of Shades. I came to Bulldog Days and saw Shades performing at the Cultural Performance, I think it was called, and I was just mesmerized by how beautiful their singing was. Not only their singing, just their talents, but also the passion that they had for the music that they were singing. And I applied to Yale, and when I came to Yale, heard about this thing called Acapella Rush. At that time, I really didn't know how huge the acapella scene was at Yale and how very interesting the rush process was, but I ended up rushing Shades and one other group, but then ended up dropping it after I got my Shades call back. And I think that was really because I found that Shades is the only truly mission-based acapella group on campus. And because of that, we focus our songs, how we perform, where we perform, and who we want to perform for with a lot of intentionality and a lot of purpose. And because of that, I think Shades is very different from a lot of other acapella groups on campus. I won't say all to generalize, but I think there's definitely something special about Shades' roots, especially because we're one of the youngest acapella groups on campus. We were only founded in the 1980s. The story is that T.T. Lyo, our founder, we call her T. 
TT. She actually did a pre-orientation program, CC Cultural Connections, and when she was there found that there were not a lot of people in the acapella scene at Yale's campus singing the songs that she grew up with. And she thought that wasn't right. So she made her own acapella group. It's come to be the Shades of Yale that many people know and love and that sings so many different songs to celebrate the black voice. But like many other things, COVID has completely changed how we approach acapella. The Singing Group Council, or the SGC, has made it very clear that this year we can't rush, so we can't recruit any more members. And we also cannot have in-person concerts or meet in the same way that we used to. But of course we've adapted to that. Last spring now, after everyone was sent home, we decided to do our spring jam online. And we premiered it through YouTube, which took a lot of time, not only because we have to now record all of our parts separately and then mix everything together, but also just because adjusting to this new form of acapella was very, very new to all of us at the time. Because of COVID, now we have to record things on our own, which definitely doesn't fulfill the same feeling of performing with a group on a stage. We record things alone, we mix them together, and we post those things online for people to see, which I think is great in that our videos and our performances get to be projected to a wider audience, and that's definitely a part of our mission that we would like to emphasize because we want to celebrate the Black voice and uplift the Black voice to reach many other groups of people but it's definitely changed. And I can't say that I hate every single bit of it, but I can't say that I love it as much as in-person performances. Recently, you all posted individual videos of you singing for your Valentine's Day jam, which is typically held on campus. And I know you posted a beautiful medley where you played the guitar. So I performed a medley of the songs Deeper Dark by Pip Mallet um, and Session 32 by Summer Walker, which are two of my favorite kind of love, but also sad, mellow love songs that I've been really into listening recently. The guitar part especially was something that I haven't really shown to anyone for a very long time. I picked up playing the guitar in high school but wasn't too into it and felt like I wasn't really improving as much as I wanted to and got really frustrated with that and ended up not really practicing at all. Um, but over quarantine, I decided that I really, really wanted to have the ability to play an instrument while singing to accompany myself and make my own terms and creative decisions when playing music, especially because I couldn't sing with other people anymore. And so I decided to practice more, and now we've come to the point where I'm sharing that with other people. Um, so it just makes me very proud and glad, not only to be able to share my voice and the things that I like to do, but also to share songs with other people. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and also your music. I know we're all greatly appreciative and looking forward to what you'll be posting in the future. Thank you so much. This podcast episode was created as part of the Yale Daily News Black History Month issue. It was produced by Sydney Bryan. Special thanks to Cassidy, Carlos Adaronke, Danielle, Charlie Mayock-Bradley, Pia Gourmet, Madison Singh, and Allison Park. Thank you.